0: I don't know about you, but just seeing them and the team that's here for Silver Ring thing, I am excited about this generation and what God's going to do in their lives. And I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. I've known Ben, obviously, since before he was born, but obviously as he was born and since he's grown up. And now to meet Ashley and to see what God's doing in their life and the opportunity for us to partner with them, we're just excited. And so I'd love for you to get a chance to meet them, see them afterwards, going to be here and out there. The reason I said that, the reason she hesitated, I said, well, it's called the narthex, but who in the world knows what a narthex is? So now we call it lobby. I know some of you know what a narthex is, but it's a lobby. If someone says to you, I've got good news and bad news, which one do you want to hear first? How many want to hear the good news first? How many of the bad news? That is amazing. Exactly the same in the first service. I guess there's something that thinks, if I hear the bad news first, then I get the good news, I can trade it off and move through the process. You and I know that life is filled with both. Scripture says it rains on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Some people go through life unscathed. Others seem to have bad luck all the time or bad stuff happens to them every other day. Kind of like that old hee-haw song, which I know I just now dated myself. If it weren't for bad luck, what? Yeah, you're all the same age. That is really sad that you all know that line. But a lot of times it does feel like that. We felt like we've lived through one of those this summer. Everything at our house that could go wrong, roof started to leak, we had to have a new roof, garage doors fell off, had to have, I mean, the list was endless. A dozen, a half a dozen things that continued to happen all summer long, they just kept adding up. When I was knowing that I was doing a sermon on trouble, I thought, well, I've got them all out of the way. They're all done. Then I got sick, and we're supposed to leave today to visit my children who have a special needs grandson who can't be around anybody who's sick. And I'm going, you got to be kidding. Thursday night, I'm putting stuff away, throwing some wood into some old burn pile, got stung. I woke up the next morning, and this arm looked like the elephant man. I'm going, seriously, I'm, I'm good. I don't need any more trouble. I'll, I won't even talk about it Sunday, if that's okay, God. He said, no, go ahead and do it. I went, all right. Every once in a while, you feel like you've got it down, things are going fine, I'm going along well, nothing's going to happen now, all this stuff is out of the way, and then all of a sudden, wham, there you are again, like that little calf in a rodeo that's going out as fast as he can, just trying to get away until someone ropes him and turns him upside down. I was going to show you that clip this morning, but I know some of you are a little squeamish, and you say, oh, that poor calf. Pastored in Couttersport for 10 years before we moved here. And one thing about that particular area, the north country of Pennsylvania, it snows about six months of the year. First time we got there it was in November. We didn't see the ground again until April. So we had to make a decision. Are we going to endure it or enjoy it? We decided to enjoy it. So we got learned how to ski and snowmobiles and all of those kind of things to have a lot of fun. took my kids down one day to the park that had a huge mound, kind of a dune between one part of uh, the park. Of the other, and you could uh, go across it. You could also sled ride down it. So I hooked their sleds on the back of the snowmobile. We went down, stood around there for a little while. I said, all right, I'm going to take the snowmobile, have some fun. You guys go ahead and sled up and down the hill. I was flying across the top of this dune, looked back to make sure they were okay. When I turned around to look, all I saw was two large telephone poles on each side of the top of the dune and a cable about that big around. All I had time to do was to go like this. That thing pulled me off onto the ground, took off the entire top of the snowmobile. It kept running. I'm laying on the ground, rolling down. Girls come running over. Rachel's going, Daddy's dead. Daddy's dead. Aaron said, no, he's not dead. His arms are broken. Either way, I have no air to tell him anything. And then I felt that is a lot like life every once in a while. Going along fine, not always paying attention to all of a sudden something happens that you weren't prepared for and you feel like, I don't know if I can make it to the next day. Some of you have gone through some really tough times. Some are in the middle of them right now. Some have come through them and out the other side. Some of you in horrible circumstances still trying to find the other side. You know, as well as I do, difficulty can either strengthen our faith, and if we're really honest, it can sometimes shake our faith. It certainly affects, in many cases, our prayer life. When you're going along fine, nothing's happening, everything's good, you pray, but maybe not as intensely or sincerely. And every once in a while, you find yourself not even praying as often. And then you go through really deep waters and you find yourself flat on your face before Almighty God because you don't know if you can get through this and not the other side. Last Sunday morning in your sermon notes, we began a new series in the book of James. James is a leader in the early church. He knows about difficulty and he's writing to some people who are in the middle of it as he writes. Their story is found in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 8. The church of Jesus Christ began to grow so fast, they had studied and learned and heard all the things they wanted to about Judaism and the coming Messiah, didn't know for sure if he was ever going to come. Many of them ignored him while he was here. And then all of a sudden, Jesus hung on the cross, they heard the story, rose from the dead, and the church began to get excited about who this Christ was and who this Jesus was. Sermons began to be preached, Peter Peter was one of them, and thousands came to faith in Christ. Things were going along incredibly well, sharing with one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, until you get to chapter 8, and all of a sudden it seemed like the bottom fell out. One of the early leaders, Stephen, was stoned to death because of his faith in Christ, and exotic in the next verse of that, says, On that day, on that very day, while he was stoned to death, a great persecution broke out against the church. And they were all scattered everywhere except the apostles. Saul, who we'll know later as Paul, began to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging off men and women and putting them into prison. Now they're trying to figure out, what do we do? And James, the leader of this church, is trying to figure out, what do I say? They're in the middle of it. They don't need theological discussions about the future of life. They want to know, what do I do right now? How am I going to get through this? Where is it going to end? And when will it ever end? And so he writes to them in James chapter 1 these words, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, i got to imagine they're reading this thinking, are you kidding me? Consider it joy. Do you know what we're going through? And he would say, I do. I really do. I want you to understand, though, because you know in verse 3 that the testing of your faith, this brand new faith for them, develops perseverance. Perseverance has to finish its work so that you'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, verse 12, blessed is the person, blessed is the man who perseveres under the trial. (coughs) Because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. It sounds almost insensitive. Consider it pure joy. And if we're really honest, the joy is sometimes hard to find. It's hard to be laughing through every circumstance. It's hard to smile when the bottom falls out. It's hard to feel good about the circumstance when you're in the middle of it. But James is trying to give them perspective. Don't only see the moment. Don't only see the situation. See what God is doing in it, through it, and what he'll do in you if you're willing to allow him to finish his work. When he says the word consider, it's the same one in Hebrews chapter 12 when he says, Consider Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorn his shame. Neither of those two things are joyful. The shame that went with it, hanging on the cross, the beating, the scourging, all that went with none of those things are joyful. But what James is trying to do, which is what Paul is trying to do, is look really carefully at all that you're going to go through, at all that's going to happen, at all that God wants to teach you. Don't just let it fly by so fast. So he uses the word consider in his context, which means look at it really intently for what it's supposed to do. Look for the fact that God is going to be with you in all of it. He's doing it for a purpose. Hold on. I need you to know some things, and I need you to do some things. First thing he wants us to know is, in your sermon knows, trials are inevitable. Definition of a trial: unwelcome or unanticipated experience. Anybody ever had one? You know as well as I do, it's not if they come, it's what? When they come. Some, of course, may seem worse than others. Some people seem to face more than others. But right at the outset, you and I need to remember that pain and problems are inevitable. They come to all of us. They're a part of life. Some people would think, if I just come to Jesus, I won't face as many as if Christianity is a get-out-of-trial-free card. It's not. Some think, well, my problems are a punishment, something I must have done wrong. Sometimes they are the consequence of really bad decisions, but that's not what he's referring to here. Simply, he says, I need you to clearly understand problems are a part of life. Difficulty comes to all of us at one time or the other. In John 16, Jesus said the same thing Look, I've told you these things. He listed all of those things about the future of life so that in me you'll have peace. I need you to know in this world you'll have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Book of Job, you read that book, you'll find this is a guy whose life was filled with trouble. Who would still say, even if he slay me, yet will I love him. Paul in Corinthians chapter 7 said, look, probably advisable to stay single. But if you get married, I need you to know right up front, there's going to be trouble. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 28. Very romantic guy, isn't he? I just need you to know, you're going to face trouble. Just a part of the journey. When two people who've been used to doing their own thing come together, they'll find out every once in a while how selfish they've been. Not in a nasty, negative way. You've just been making your own decisions, doing your own thing. And the longer you're single, the more you've been used to doing that. Now, all of a sudden, you come into this relationship where two people partner together making the decisions. And you realize, huh, I was used to doing this all on my own, doing my own thing, going my own path, making my own decisions, and now I've got to consider somebody else. Not just consider somebody else, we've got to come to a mutual decision together. And so after a while, you begin to work through the process of all that goes with that, and you finally come to that point of figuring it out. It's running along smoothly, relatively speaking, and then God, in His wonderfully creative way, gives you children, and you get to start that all over again. Jesus faced it. John chapter 12, he said, my heart is really troubled right now. Paul couldn't avoid it. In 2 Corinthians, he's probably as honest as anybody I've ever seen about the price of ministry. He begins to list all of the things that he went through, lost sleep, lost food, couldn't eat, couldn't find help. Three times he said, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and the day in the open sea. I've had some tough board meetings, never anything like that. You'll notice that James doesn't deal with the issue of evil. What's fascinating about this section of Scripture, he never addresses the why, which many of us want to know. I mean, for the last week, that's what everybody's been trying to figure out in regards to the Las Vegas shooting. Why? Why would someone do that such an evil act? And we may never know. What's interesting is that James never deals with the why. These people are in the middle of it, and he gets to the point. I need you to know life is hard. Problems are inevitable. Not necessarily because you've been bad or God is mad. Life is filled with difficult times, and I want you to hold on tight no matter what. One of my favorite lines, I think I put it in your sermon notes this morning, never doubt in the dark what you know to be true in the light. Never doubt in the dark what you know to be true in the light. This is what's true in the light. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, ever. Ever. Matter of fact, I'll walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Every song we sang this morning says the same thing. And in the middle of the darkness, when you don't see that, and you can't find God, and you wonder where he's at, and if he even knows where you're there, in the middle of those dark moments, when you're going through that valley and you can't see the other side, he said, never doubt in the middle of the dark what you know to be true in the light, and that is, I will never, ever leave you or forsake you, God says. Even if you're facing death itself, I'll be right beside you. There's another thing we need to know, and that is in your notes. Trials can serve a purpose. Because you know, he said in verse 3, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Test or strength is a word he's using. It's a term used to describe the process that metal goes through so that all the impurities fall off. Your sermon notes this morning is a fascinating corresponding piece in 1 Peter chapter 1. When Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you'll have to suffer a lot of grief. They come so that your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes through even though refined by fire, may prove to be genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor in Christ. Which essentially means you sometimes, I sometimes go through them to test our metal because they can really tell what we're made of. Many times in your sermon notes, they also tell us what's important. They not only tell us what we're made of and our ability to stand strong in the middle of it and not curse God and just simply die, or walk away from Christianity, or walk away from our family, or walk away from our marriage, or walk away from our kids, or walk away from life itself. It really does test what we're made of inside. And sometimes they also remind us of what's really important. (coughs) There's a lot of people in life who put their trust in things or stuff all of a sudden, they're taken away. Certainly what we've seen over the last few months, fascinating interview by a lady in Houston who had water literally up to her knees walking into a beautiful home and simply said, this was stuff. I still have my kids. I still have my life. I still have my family. And sometimes when those things f- taken away, some who had their confidence in those things fall apart. And they realize they had their faith in the wrong things. Lee Atwater was a, was a campaign manager and George Bush, the first life, and after being diagnosed with cancer, he wrote words like this In the 80s, it was all about acquiring, acquiring wealth, power, and prestige. I know I had it all. But I found that you can acquire everything you want and still feel empty. Kind of like Jesus said, What is a prophet of man if he gains the entire world and loses his own soul? What power I wouldn't trade for a little more time with my family. What price I wouldn't pay for an evening with my friends. It took a deadly disease to put me eye to eye with that truth. Maria, a lady who was a prisoner in the Nazi concentration camp, in the middle of an imaginable horror, which could have easily allowed her to walk away from all that she knew, the truth. But God somehow granted her the ability to see her situation not as misfortune, but an opportunity. She wrote words like this. I'm your messenger, God. Throw me like a blazing torch into the night so that all may see and understand what it really means to be your disciple. Sometimes it tells us and reminds us of what's really important and what God is trying to do in the middle of it, knowing that if we're willing to allow it to finish its work that I'll say in a moment, there's somebody who's watching my life who will later come and say, I need to know what you have. I need to know what you have. I need to know what you have found. I've watched you go through some unimaginable occurrences and situations. And you continue to get stronger and more solid. I've got to know what you have. Which is what Maria's is asking for. A victim of cancer put it this way. She said, I know you find yourself in a, taking a long look at your life and realizing many of the things you thought were really important aren't. Probably the major change in my life. It allowed me to put things into perspective, to find out things like relationships are really more important than anything else. The people you know and the family you have more than anything else in life are the most important. It's strange how it takes something so serious to make you realize that. You can talk a real good talk about Christianity and what it means and how good you are and how good it is when things are going well. It's when things get difficult and life gets tough that really is the test of what you have inside. And that's why James says, look, I need you to allow it to finish its work so that you can get through it and out the other side. Because when you do, you will be stronger, believe it or not, because you won't believe it now. But if you allow it to do its work and you allow the work in you to happen, you will come out the other side stronger and more solid. A lot of people don't like that. They somehow wish they could get stronger by sitting on the couch eating potato chips, but it doesn't happen that way. It takes work. James says you want to be strong, you want to be solid in your faith, you have to have a willingness to stand firm even when things get tough, even when things get hard. Because I'm telling you, God is going to use all of that to deepen and develop your character. Not in your nose to make you perfect, but to make you complete and well-rounded. With substance, someone that others want to come to. And ask, how did you do it? If you're a parent, you know as well as I do, one of the best things we can do for our kids is what? Let them go through some deep waters. Let them go through some difficult time. Don't bail them out every time you turn around. Don't spoil them giving them everything they want. Allow them to work hard because once they do, they'll value what they have. James says, when you're going through difficulty, here's some things you need to know. Life is hard. Trials are a part of it. Many times it allows you to sort out the junk in your life, but they will develop strength and character, real depth in your life. So, verse 4, you got to let it finish its work. Not everybody does that, be it in marriage or in relationships. They bail when it gets tough. They bail when it gets hard. They walk away, even from Christianity and God. And even when the Spirit of God points it out, they either ignore it or medicate it away. If we really value character and spiritual strength, then we've got to allow ourselves to go through those difficult circumstances knowing that the end is worth it all. The other thing that I'm fascinated about with this section of Scripture is, he said, you will receive the crown of life to those who love him. I love that phrase for this reason. That, to me, gives me a lot of hope. You see, I don't have to be the fastest in the world to make it to the end. I don't have to be the best in the world to make it to the end. I don't have to have all the answers to make it to the end. I don't have to have the best theology to make it to the end. To those who make it to the end are those who love Him, who just trust Him even in the middle of things that don't make sense. Winning honestly isn't everything. Being perfect, having a perfect family isn't real life. Do we want to do our best? Absolutely. I'm just glad I don't have to be perfect. I just want to stay in the race and love him. Not a sentimental, mushy kind of love, but a love that said, Jesus, I honestly do not like this. And to be honest with you, I don't understand it. And to be really honest with you, I wish it were over. But in the midst of it all, I want to hold on to you with everything I have because I know you are the only answer to life. And I'm not going to let go because I know you're not going to let go of me. I know you have my best interests at heart and I know that you have something amazing for me in the future as I get through this. So help me to hold on to the end because he said it will be worth it all. Let's pray. Father, every Sunday I stand before people that I really do love. I've been a part of their life for such a long period of time. I've watched them go through the circles and cycles of life, and we've all become like family. And many times in family, some that we're really close to gone through deep waters and I see it and I know it and I hear it and understand it and I pray with him through it. But as a large family, I don't know everything that my family here is going through, but you do. And so Father, wherever my family is in this circle of life, in this season of life, I trust that in the name of Christ, you'll walk with them in really visible and Phenomenal ways. Some have already come out the other side and are those that others are pointing to saying, talk to John, talk to Susie, talk to them, talk to her, talk to him, because, man, they're solid. Others are in the middle of it and want to come out the other side. But right now, they're just trying to figure out some answers for the day. and others can't wait for it to be over because they wonder how long it's going to last. And so in these next moments together, Father, hear their hearts as they speak to you about where they're at and help them to hold on with everything they have. I really don't know where all of you are at or what your circumstances are, but I do know enough to know that all of us are in some point or the other, in the middle of it, out the other side, ready to face it in the uncertainty of life. So in this last moment of time, spend a a minute with Jesus just saying, Lord, you know where I'm at. You know what I'm going through. You know what these circumstances are. Help me to hold on to you no matter what, knowing that out the other side I'll be stronger, more confident in my faith in you. And others maybe will want to see what I've found in you, and it will give me an incredible chance to share truth. Talk to him about that. Father, I listened to Ben's story this morning about the power of the Word, that the Word of God that has been around forever, that heaven and earth will pass away, your Word never will, change the life just by reading the Word of God, trying to teach it to someone else. And I never, ever want to get tired of sharing your Word, teaching your Word, embracing your Word, and living your Word. So thank you for preserving your Word so that we can use it for life direction, guidance, encouragement, help as we go through life. Guide and direct all of those that you've heard speak to you this morning, wherever they're at in that stage of life, in that season of time. Bless them and walk with them, we pray. Help them to hold on to you with everything they have, because I know you'll hold on to them. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Please, Ben and Ashley are over here. Take an opportunity just to introduce yourself and say, look, I know you're going to halfway around the world, but I'll be praying for you. Don't forget tonight's overring thing, 630 to 830. You don't want to miss that. I invite somebody here. God bless you. Have an amazing week.